Hey, welcome to In The Shift, a podcast for when life and faith go off script. My name is Michael Frost. And episode 64 of the podcast today, today finally tackling the question, can a megachurch be healthy? Uh, and, you know, uh, we've had this question a lot uh, in various forms over the last few months since we started talking about all of this. Whether it's the question of, okay, so tell us what to do, or okay, how do we fix this, or cool, 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 um, thanks for talking about that, but did you know that there are healthy megachurches out there, or it's not just megachurches, or, you know, um, what do we need to do? Can we stop focusing on the negative and get on to what we need to change so we can all move forward again? You know, we've had those questions. And and although I'm sort of laughing as I say some of those, like I understand that, I understand that sentiment. And and there is a need to say, okay, how do we rethink? How do we redesign? How do we reimagine church community? But we haven't been wanted to be too quick to that conversation because there's been a need to grapple deeply with the nature of the problem. And, and, you know, we still haven't worked through. Um, we could keep talking, I suppose, for years. And, and there are still things we, you know, we very much want to circle back around on and keep talking through, as you'll even hear in, in our conversation today. But we did want to focus in on this question of, oh, okay, can we talk about some ways in which um, maybe megachurches or, or churches that are following the kind of model or the church growth model or whatever it might be, are there ways we can start to think about what it might look like to move toward healthier forms of community? Are there ways to tackle some of what is producing the harm, the trauma, the pain and the suffering among the many people that we've heard of in recent, from in recent times? Uh, and how do we go about that? So that's what Shane, Maya, Holt and I are talking about today. Of course, you can get in touch with us by email, feedback at intheshift.com. You can go to intheshift.com and check out um, or get in, get in contact there You'll also find um, a bunch of blog posts and and the podcast available to you there. Uh, if you want to support the work of In The Shift and also join our um, our online community for patrons, you can go to patreon.com slash in the shift, chuck us a few bucks a month and you'll um, help make this thing sustainable as well as getting to uh, join in what is, what is turning into a really rich and, and wonderful series of discussions that are, that are taking place there between um, between various people who have been listening along to In The Shift. So um, so you're most welcome to do that or get in touch via social media, Facebook, Instagram, etc. You know how all that works. So with all of that said, this is episode 64 of In The Shift. Let's get into it. <music> Hello everyone, it's me, Michael Frost. You might remember me from endlessly going on about the megachurch for about three months. And here I am with Shane Meyer-Holt. Hello Shane. Hello. Also still banging on about the megachurch, which feels kind of a bit funny (laughs) that we've become so obsessed (laughs) with something that's not a very big part of our lives anymore, but that's okay. Yes. Maybe that's because we love it. The mega church. Yeah. Well, you know, just in that it's 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 a sibling. It's you know, it's part of the church, which we don't admit to many people here. I live in 
one of the least religious suburbs in Australia. So you definitely don't tell people you work for a church until they definitely know that you're not a racist bigot. <laughs> but uh, still a sibling, sure. Sure. Yeah, no, no fair, fair point. And many of the people in the, in, in the mega church world whom we love dearly. Exactly. So, yeah, maybe that's why we're still banging on about it. Must say, very exciting that I'm talking to Shane in the same room as Shane. In the flesh. In the, in the flesh. We can touch each other. We can. If we choose to and if uh, the other person wants us to. <laughs> thank you for clarifying. I think it's just uh, important to reinforce consent. I am, I am in Melbourne for Shane's birthday. Hooray. Because I was supposed to be here two years ago for his birthday, but then you know, pandemics, borders, etc. So here I am. Excuses, excuses, I say. If you really loved me, you would have found a way. Broken some mandates or something. Put everyone's (laughs) health at risk. I'm well known for being a very adventurous, rebellious person. (laughs) Exactly. Who's always breaking the rules. Exactly. It's surprising I didn't do that. Um, Lovely to have you, though. Oh, well, it's nice to be here. We have eaten our white and cheese toasties. Do love a good cheese toastie or three. One thing you may not know about Michael Frost is he is a toasty enthusiast, which you you end up taking on a lot of my hobbies and enthusiasms. But uh, cheese toasties, I think, is one that I really, really got off you. And now, yeah. whenever we end up talking, even just on the phone casually, we find ourselves automatically making cheese toasties. <laughs> so we've eaten a lot of toasties together, but it's nice to eat them in person. It is. It indeed it is. Um, so, yes, good, good <laughs> come, times. Come, come for the deconstruction, stay for the toasty reviews. Exactly. The uh, fennel and fermented chilli one we had this morning was particularly You know good. what? That was outstanding. Mm-hmm. That was the pick of the day. Um, <laughs> all right. Well, we might find a way to weave cheese toasty metaphors into what we talked about today, given, mm. uh, given my penchant for random metaphors. Oozing with love, like <laughs> good toasty. No, let's, we need to work on that a bit. Okay. We'll workshop that. Uh, what we would like to talk about finally in this episode is the question of whether or not a megachurch can be healthy. Yes? Yeah. Can I just say like I feel really uncomfortable with <laughs> feeling like I'm some kind of adjudicator and have a right to say whether any particular church can be healthy or not as if like we've got a better way. Because what we're really focused on so far um, despite talking about mega churches a lot, a lot of what we're really talking about is just stop harming people, everyone. <laughs> mm. Please, please listen to the people who have been damaged and whose lives um, are in a you know a bloody mess on the other side of this. And so I feel like in lots of ways we've been talking within the context of a mega church, but not against mega churches as such. Which I think it's a very it's very easy, I guess, if you're in that space to feel like. You know, if you listen to this, like we're just having a go because, you know, we could have a go at churches much like ours as well um, about all kinds of things. So it's not really about that, but um, it's about stopping harmful practices. And so even in this conversation when we're talking about like what health might look like in these spaces, I do feel very uncomfortable as if like, you know, I've earned the right to have a final say about a space that, you know, I'm not even really in anymore, but... I do think that we have some experiences um, that might we might have something to contribute to the conversation about what healthy practices can look like, even in contexts like this. Yeah, and I think perhaps what informs that too is is even the last three months of just hearing people's stories. You yeah, know? 
um, whether that's email or <clears throat> or through social media and stuff. Um, and so I think, I hope that that our perspectives have been shaped too by those many stories that we've heard. Mm. Um, and so for all of those of you who have shared, um, thank you because um, it means a lot. Yeah, and, it's very brave. And you know, I think we have we have put off having this conversation for all sorts of reasons, uh, partly because of what you were just saying and then partly because of, and as we've said a few times along the way, we haven't wanted to be too quick to get to the how do we fix it all kind of conversation, which is not even what we really want this to be. Mm. But the, that's the temptation so often, as we've said a number of times, in this kind of space in particular. And I think just in kind of Western, modern, slash postmodern kind of capitalist era anyway, the temptation is always sort of quick fix and yep. on we go. Yeah. And Without really understanding the problem. Like I think what we yeah. try to do is articulate <laughs> ad nauseum, mm. uh, ad nauseous and sometimes, mm. um, <laughs> to, to articul- uh, articulate the problem. Like we've got feedback of people saying, you know, like when are you going to tell us, you know, what we should be doing then? Mm. And I do understand that. But like really... Um, one response is to say, um, if you've been hearing about how particular practices are really harmful over and over again, stop it. <laughs> stop doing those. And that's how you fix, that's how you fix it. <laughs> yes. So if you're like, hey, stop, uh, you know, these people have all been abused and that's been terrible. And you're like, yes, but how do we, how do we move forward? Stop, stop gaslighting with, people? Yeah. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I, I, I hope that, over the last whatever it is, <laughs> um, however many episodes it is, we have along the way been highlighting a number of things that are harmful and spending a lot of time there because, and, and this has come through as well in the, in the reflections back to us from people, is how deep the kind of, how deep this stuff is woven, woven into, and it's not. This is not just a megachurch issue either, but it's woven into the fabric of the way in which so many people go about doing religious community. I suppose mm. it's fair to say, and so, and, and a lot of the language functions at, at multiple levels. And so, if all we do is sort of put a couple of band aids on it and try and move on, yeah, then we haven't really grappled with. Just kind of the scale, you know, and, and so like we've talked before about the sort of the death from a thousand cuts. And so you almost have to like pay attention to where all of those little cuts are happening. Yeah. You know <laughs> yeah. what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah. If, you know, if you've just got one terrible person rampaging through a place being, <laughs> awful, being awful, it's kind of, it's terrible, but it's easy to spot mm. and to kind mm. of root out the problem. But mm. if you've got thousands of little things being done all of the time because they've become endemic within a culture. And especially if they're being justified as being, this is an, you know, this thing that you think is bad and is cutting you, it's mm. actually very good. <laughs> yeah. And, and yeah. so it's taken us quite some time, more time than we would have anticipated to pick through all of that. And we certainly haven't done so in ways that have covered off all of those things either. Mm. Um, but, and there's still plenty of things to talk about. <laughs> but we thought now was a good time, nevertheless, to, to have this conversation because we have, I think, dealt with things enough to be able to see some, some common themes coming up both in the things that we've been reflecting on mm. and in the stories that we've been hearing that help us to be able to say at least here are some, here are some conversations we need to have as, as faith communities mm. um, and, as, and as people of faith, if that's indeed what you are, 
and, and if you're still interested in some kind of faith community, which I can understand if many people are not. Um, oh, which you know, we know from feedback, many people aren't. Oh, absolutely, um, yeah. Which is completely understandable. Um, but for those who are interested in, in what it might look like to form healthy healthy community, I think a couple of things to say about that. One is that what we're not going to do here is kind of try and describe the ideal healthy church, right? Because there is no such mm. entity mm. because every faith community, and this is something we've banged on about a bit, um, is entrenched or, or immersed within its own context, whether that's its denomination and in that and its history there, you know, um, the the city, yep. the suburb yep. that it might find itself in, the kind of constituency that it has or, you know, the people that make up that community. The size um, it happens to be. The size it happens to be, the, the predominant theological outlook of the people who make up that community. All of these things can differ for, and do differ from, mm. from church to church to church. And so there's, there's no... Um, sort of way of describing here is what the perfect healthy church community mm. looks like because it's it's going to look different in uh, and you know sometimes you hear, hear the question especially as like someone who 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 does theology uh, as part of my living I suppose um, <laughs> at least for now <laughs> <laughs> uh, is is like oh okay so what's the biblical model of a church then you know mm. or something like that mm. and there just there just isn't one like there isn't a biblical model of church. So and even and even like if you're looking specifically at the New Testament and the in the epistles, the kinds of churches there are just byproducts of what was happening. Like you know, um, at the time that you know they started off meeting in the synagogues because they were Jews and that's what you do. And it was a, a, a Jewish sect. And then when one they once they got kicked out of the synagogues, they ended up meeting in homes because that's what they had available. And so that context was a response that you know what what we see modelled was a response to the context, not. Um, a group of people got together and made a blueprint for exactly in every space, no matter what the context, how churches should be. Like there is no such thing as a, a biblical model of church. There's just um, response. There's biblical responses to context that we can look to and go, "Oh, that's how they did that." Um, what does that mean for us? Yeah, yeah, and we can certainly learn from those stories and reflections and writings. Uh, and you know, in fact, a lot of what the epistles are dealing with is like. Hey, stop harming people like that. You know, like that's a, a lot of what they're doing is yep. is responding to yep. various ways in which harm was being perpetuated within the community, whether that was through kind of um, kind of racism or classism mm. or mm. Um, you know, all, all lots of different ways in which or just interpersonal, yeah, interpersonal crap. Yeah, 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 yeah. totally. Yeah. Um, so, so in a sense, you know, um, what they yeah, what they're not doing is laying out a blueprint, but there's a there's an ongoing dynamic responsiveness mm. and an ongoing necessary conversation about is this thing that we've sort of built almost by accident yeah. um, healthy or in what ways is it is it not healthy or harmful and how can we modify yeah. it? So so things are always going to be on the go in that sense, right? And that's kind of the challenge for for, for every community of faith is to say, yeah, like what is our context? What is our history? What skeletons are in the closet? What shapes us? Um, what is our relationship to our neighbourhood and to you know to those um, you know to the context that we live in, and then where do we take things from there? And so like yeah, we're not going to try and tackle that for every faith community in the world today, as brilliant as we are. <laughs> um, but mostly talk about you know for churches, for mega churches who perhaps are looking at this conversation and ones that um, haven't had stories released about them 
yet <laughs> um, that are saying what white health look like. Maybe we could speak into that context. If you find mm. yourself as a church of a, a particular size, um, that's maybe above a thousand people or something, you're in a you have a th- those dynamics shape you in particular ways. And if you're looking to try and work out what might health look like in that, um, you know, w- with that history, then um, yeah, we'll talk a bit about that. Yeah, and then and then the next layer of kind of of churches that are maybe a bit smaller than that. But, you know, we've talked a bit about the mega church aspiring mm. churches as mm. well, you know, oh, yeah. that have kind of adopted that model and yep. are trying their best to move toward that yeah. kind of way of going about church. We hope that all of these conversations have been, have been, um, have contribute, are able to contribute to a, to a pausing and reflecting and going, actually, is that the direction we should be going in and, mm. and what are the danger signs or warning signs there and how could we move it forward in some healthy, healthier ways? Um, so, yeah, we're not going to be saying, um, you know, the ideal church size is X yep. or the ideal church structure is... Yeah, or what um, this particular church should do here is this, yes. this and this. Yeah, yeah, because, yeah, yeah we so, would hope it's a little more broad than that. And, look, we're also not... The, there's, there's so much good literature and thinking and mm. study around this stuff. Like we are, uh, one, you know, two small voices in a, you know, in a big sea of people who have thought long and hard about this stuff. Um, and so we're by no means like the sole... Place space of expertise on this. A lot of people have spent a long time, you know, chatting about this and not being heard for a long time. So, yeah. yeah. Caveat, caveat. Yes, and even even in that year, 15 minutes of caveats. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> even, no, just by way of explanation. Uh, and even just again, that the hearing, whether it's through, we've got a, a Discord community running for, for patrons of In The Shift at the moment where there's just some incredibly rich conversations taking place. Mm-hmm. Um, as people are sharing stories and experiences and insights and reflections and analysis and um, and then hearing from people through, yeah, like we've already said, through, through the many stories and interactions we've had over the last uh, two, three months, just how much wisdom and insight and richness there is already yep. within um, both within these churches and these church communities and also within the many people who have... Mm. Um, exited them <laughs> um, or, you know, or trying to figure out what to, you know, there's so much wisdom and insight in, those, in the multitude of voices. And so uh, we can only benefit from hearing more people talk about this stuff. Yeah, and that's kind of the cruel irony of a lot of this, right? Because one of the things we've kind of banged on about is, is who gets a voice in these communities and who gets a kind of an open and free voice where who's allowed to actually say what they really think about things in these communities. And we're sitting there getting to listen to people who have been in these communities, yeah, talk with such articulate reflections and so much depth and so much humility and so much openness and stuff and things that have just genuinely challenged me about um, you know about what I think of <laughs> about what I think of things, and I think, ah, these people have been sitting in churches for such a long time, and how many spaces did they actually get to share what they're reading, what they're learning, what they're thinking about? Um, and that's you know kind of core to the problem is that uh, not many people are allowed a free opinion. Mm, <laughs> yeah. Okay, so what we're going to do then is we're going to um, look at a few different kind of, I guess, themes or. Or areas that we think um, might be helpful in terms of thinking about health and movement toward health. Mm. Certainly, again, churches and church communities are complex organisms, organisms, and cannot be fixed as such. They are always an ongoing. Um, like you can't fix a family. No, you can't fix a church community. No, 
in that sense. So it's but you can choose particular trajectories and right. patterns of relationship yep. that um, might lead to further health. Mm-hmm. And sometimes uh, in the fixing is the breaking. <laughs> you know, like sometimes mm. it's actually incredibly painful to, mm. to have honest conversations and to change things. And sometimes it's really disruptive to, disruptive to change things, um, to move towards health. But that long road ends up bearing better mm. through it. Yes. Um, so uh, how can we move then toward more health? Um, let's think perhaps about just just that core idea then, even that you're starting to mm. talk about there, which is that, and I think this is this has been central. It's something I've thought about a lot over this time, which is that a big part of 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 church modern of modern the modern contemporary kind of Pentecostal evangelical church culture and 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 mega churches are the exemplars of this is the is the kind of growth obsession that we've talked about before in, in a number of different ways right um, but what would it look like to prioritize just just as an overall framework to prioritize health and sustainability mm. um, in in ways that mean we would actually be okay to go backwards, mm. maybe numerically, for example, or momentum-wise or, 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 or whatever, um, if going backwards meant that we were able to create more health mm. and sustainability and, and so on within the community itself. Yeah. And perhaps even more broadly than that, um, what would it take to say we're not going to go forwards <laughs> um, if it means that it's healthier for the broad, the broader church. I mean, I think one of my concerns is the expansion of um, the, the, the kind of like <laughs> uh, colonizing expansion moves of lots of mega churches where having more sites and more places and more things and we've seen it in a couple of models in particular, we're taking over other churches who are wasting their time just ministering to 70 people so we'll snatch their building. Um, what if particular moves aren't healthy for the broader body? Like what if we were to think about the church as being not just what is good for our church, but what is good for the church is in this place and space or the church is in a, in, in a country um, that even having an ethos which says, you know, we won't move forward if it's going to be harmful or detrimental to others as well, not just to ourselves and our people. Yeah, and those are you know those can be complex conversations because some of that is perspective and yeah, um, and so on. But yeah, it's it's really important you know to think. Well, they're, they're often they're just that's the whole point is often they're not conversations. No, no, not at all. <laughs> they're, no. they're not. They're, they're not no, actual. Com- like they're complex conversations <laughs> if they were to ever be had. <laughs> exactly yes. That. yes. Yep. Yep. Beyond getting permission from some other powerful person, like yeah, 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 yeah. And so you you know you have stories of a say a mega church, um, for example, or a church that's able to put on the best show in town, kind of acquiring people from young people in particular, from mm. many, many, many smaller faith mm. communities um, in the region, mm. then um, recruiting those young people to serve um, ex- with extraordinary amounts of energy and commitment mm. and then burning them out 
and then those young people not wanting to have anything to do with church ever again. <laughs> and, you know, I've, I've heard this from, from smaller churches um, that are in proximity to, mm. to, to large mega churches mm. for whom this happens. They, they train, you know, they, they see these young people grow up from little babies all yep. the way, you know, the pastor them all the way through to, to being young adults. And now you can't control those people and tell them they have to stay or they sh- can't go to the, the flashier show, you know, down the road. But there is something concerning about this idea mm. that, that although the, that large church's stats might keep going upward, mm. they might actually be both taking like a whole generation out of smaller faith communities mm. and then inoculating them against church and Christianity and faith. And, um, and again, I don't, it's not like staying a Christian, in my perspective, sorry, everybody, is <laughs> the most important thing in the world yep. for everybody. I, like, I, you know, I, I get why, um, why people need to leave it behind. And I, yep. like, I totally understand that. So it's not to say that people should never leave it behind, but just that from the, from the wider sense of, of cultivating a, a faith tradition that is, that is nourishing and that, mm. is, that helps people um, you know, flourish, flourish yeah. in life. Um, it seems to me that sort of, yeah, that wider sense of, um, of churning through all of these young people. Yeah. Um, and look, we don't, yeah. we don't count, we've talked about this before, we don't count unsalvations. Mm. Mm. <laughs> if, they were, if they were counted, we might have some different stats on some, what success, look, success looks like. Yeah. But yeah, and, and look, like from, you know, to play devil's advocate a bit, you can't, you know, like lots of people end up coming from smaller, very unhealthy communities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To totally. much larger yes. flourishing ones where mm-hmm. they do well and do great. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah, so it's, it, 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 is, it is complicated, but at least having a view to that, at least thinking about like having a question of like what is good for all of us? Like how does working together or having a sense of each other or um, having a sense of the vocation of the different communities within a place that we're – and spaces that we're moving into, like what, what will our presence and our um, kind of – you know, if you take in a kind of aggressive growth <laughs> um, stance, like how are you doing that in a way that – isn't taking away from the rest of the body of Christ and it is actually nourishing, you know, the mm. other faith communities that are present. Like, are we having conversations about that? Is there openness about that? Yeah, like I um, I was talking with someone the other day about like the kind of 1980s Christianity that I grew up in, which I, you know, there are lots of problems with. with um, The 1980s? With the 1980s. Um <laughs> And with you know, with, our next with, series, we're going to have a go at a whole decade. <laughs> yeah, the takedown of the nineteen eighties. Um, but you know, the, the 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 kind of Pentecostal spirituality that I that I you mm. know had at that time, I can I can see now some some things that were were troubling about some aspects of that. <laughs> but I think one of the things I've observed in more recent times is how, or, or compared to, I suppose, is even how, like it was considered quite a success of mm. of people in your church decided that they wanted to go and help a church out in such and such a yeah, town. Yeah, that's right. Or, or they wanted to go off to Bible college. Yeah. Or they wanted to go off to a country and work for a not-for-profit somewhere mm. or if they wanted to go and plant a church mm. somewhere. or You know, mm. like, um, and again, aside from all the theological stuff, that's going on in all of that, and, and also aside from it's still prioritizing churches being the most important yeah, thing yeah, in the yeah, world totally, for yeah, anyone yeah, to yeah, do. Yeah, absolutely, <laughs> but still. So aside yeah. from all of that, <laughs> caveat, caveat. Um, the the, uh, the the sense that sending like people being empowered to leave and go and do stuff mm, that they cared mm, about mm. was that would benefit the wider yeah you know body so yep. to speak was seen as like a 
a virtue in that yeah. sense. Yeah. Whereas it seems like, you know, a couple of decades of people going to, to church growth conferences, mm. everybody's, not everybody, but many, <laughs> uh, many churches want to hang on to their, all of their people for dear life. Mm. And anyone seeking to leave is kind of betraying. Absolutely, um, yeah. And don't go off to go to Bible college somewhere mm. or because mm. you'll, you'll lose the DNA of the house or yeah. you'll never come back. Oh, and, you know, like we've heard um, stories of people being openly mocked about yeah. wanting, oh, you want to travel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Don't do your OE. Yeah. Um, don't... Don't go off and help that church over there because yeah. we need, you know, you need to stay here. And, yeah. and so the kind of the, the inward looking, as, as much as the kind of the mission statements of many of these churches sort of are outward looking theoretically, <laughs> yeah. it's all about sort of like a, they're, they're like, they can be, to mm. use a perhaps an um, excessive metaphor, a bit like a black hole, yeah. you know, that's sucking everything yeah. in towards itself. Yeah. Um, like if I can't see how this is directly going to come back to us, then... Yeah then we're not going to put any resource into it. We're not even going to encourage it or affirm it or, no. or value it no. in any kind of way. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, there's that broad sense of like what's healthy in a, in a wider mm-hmm. sense. And then there's the, in this community, yep. um, you know, I think you've made the comment before in one of our conversations that uh, maybe it was when we were talking about the, the kind of endless growth machine um, what happens when you, yeah, let's say you get an influx of people that have got really complex stuff mm. going on. Mm. Can you stop growing because, you, you know, essentially stop putting your efforts into dragging people in the front door because these people that you're with actually need some tending to. Yeah, particular need some kinds caring of care. For, or, particular yeah. kinds of care. Yeah. And there's just no way you're going to be able to provide that kind of care if you're yeah. still getting yeah. the people flowing in the front door because you're still keeping yeah. all of the other things yeah. rolling. So are there, are there any, you know, are there ways that as a community you are able to um, adjust yeah. to the needs of your community yeah. at a particular time? Or let's say, yeah. I don't know, you're going through a pandemic or you're going through <laughs> um, some kind of global crisis or, or, or there's a real flood of anxiety because mm. of a complex set of global issues mm. and stuff like that. You know, like how do you help your people navigate through some of that yep. kind of stuff yep. um, without it having to have the pressure of, but we also have to, yeah. we actually need to be putting our energy towards growing. So stop yeah. worrying about any of that and let's all just keep trucking. <laughs> yeah, and I mean, even just the concept of church vocation kind of bleeds in here of going like, what is our church here for? Mm. Like what 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 gifts does it have to give to the world? And for lots of them, I think it's like, you know, influence. We're really big. <laughs> that's like that's the gift that we have to give to the world. But like I think within any faith community, there's an evolving sense of vocation of going like, you know, who is it that we have here right now? Who are we? What gifts do we have within this um, within this body? Um, and what season, what kind of season is it for us? Is it that during this particular time we have these particular gifts where we're going to offer this particular thing in this particular kind of space which is going to be good for the context that we find ourselves in or we can put this kind of care out into the world because we're gifted with these particular people we're going to put our focus here. And that may just mean that for a while that growth and getting better and that next year's conference is going to be shitter than last year's and that's okay because we're doing this other thing which really matters. Like if there's a, you know, if, if there's a single bottom line on everything which is just bigger, better, bigger, better, bigger, better, then you just end up ignoring every other, like what I 
like call an invitation, like an invitation to be something else, to care in a particular way. Um, and then it comes, I guess, down to, you know, even just the needs of your own community of going, you know, we talk about as a, as a faith community, our, we talk about living within our means, of just going one of our primary jobs as people who um, curate a community is just to measure the energy within our community and the, and the health of the lives within our community by asking people and by talking to people and getting input from people and going, like every year we go, where are we at? What kind of, you know, do we have the energy for, you know, someone suggested maybe we could be doing this thing together as a community. Do we have energy for that or not? And people going, nah, <laughs> like, nah, just like our lives are full. We just don't have that in us right now. Or other seasons people going, yeah, I think we could give that a crack. And then we'll evaluate it later down the track and go like, what? Energy, like this kind of like pastor's vision caster that kind of like sets this benchmark that everyone else has to mm. live up to. Um, it's just really tone deaf to the to the actual needs of a community and the community being able to say, hey, this is what health looks like. You know, this is what I feel. This is what I've got to contribute. This is what I've got to contribute. This is what season I'm in. Oh, tons of us have had young kids lately. We're not in a season where we can do heaps of night stuff. Okay, let's not have nuts stuff for a while like mm. actually get having some responsiveness to the life of a community because if you want to be a place that's going to be healthy over a long period of time then healthy lives are really just all that matters right yeah and, I, and it makes me think about you know how when we do go here's the model we've got and we're going to plant it around the world mm. and everywhere around the world thursday nights is X night and Tuesday nights is X, Y, Z night. Yeah. And we always have this on that, you know, and there's one, you know, again, we've talked about the church as a contextless place mm. and how much of a problem that is because yeah. it's unable to then yeah. respond to the actual people yeah. who are that church. Mm. Mm. Uh, and so the church is, again, a thing that's happening to people. Yeah. And yeah, that, that kind of visionary leader who says, I've decided that what God wants us to do is this. Mm. And then their job is to essentially convince everybody to make it happen. Yeah. And if they're hard to convince, then it's pressure and it's, yeah. you know, it's coercion and it's yeah. manipulation because yeah. I've, now I've said it, we yeah. have to do it. Well, it's kind of um, like you've got one person write, writing checks and everyone else has to pay, mm. has to pay the yeah. cash. Like, yeah. yeah, what if at every move the question was being asked, you know, from within congregation-wide, however you want to do that. Um, but then, you know, like I guess like sometimes it'll be like – if you have staff members or pastors or whatever being representatives of parts of the congregation that they're in touch of, of going, everything we do, we go, is this healthy for us? Is this good for us? Is this something that's going to that's gonna add life? Is this something that, is this, is this a check that we can write and know that we can pay it? And if it is, even if it is, is this where we want to put our money? Like, is this where we want to put our energy? Is this where we want to put our time and our emotional energy? Is this good for us, what needs should be tended to at this particular mm. time and, and, and place. And because a lot of it kind of comes down to, it's not even just leaders saying, you know, this is what we're going to do now and this is what we're going to do now. It's like, this is what successful churches do. They have yeah. Yeah. lots of this stuff yeah. and every year they have a conference yeah. and they run an internship and they have this and that's the model of what a growing church looks like and just having some personality mm. <laughs> and going like, oh, this is... This is our this is our place. Like as a as a body, we get to work out what to do as a body, and as a what is it that we want to 
invest in and what season are we in? How do we read the room? And yeah, how do we live within our means so that we're not effectively piling ourselves with an emotional and physical debt? Mm. Um, and again, this is this is then a, this is a an invitation for churches of all sizes mm. to think about this kind of issue. Yep. You know, and I remember years ago uh, catching up with with someone who was you know church planting and started this church and it was small and it was like you know maybe 20 25 people and yet you know he felt this incredible sense of pressure he had a, a, a newcomers lounge and a men's ministry and a women's ministry and a outreach ministry and a and and all of these all of this stuff w- was going on and and um he was trying to or they would they were trying to put in place all of the things they thought they had seen that yes, you know yeah. come from an internship in a mega church yeah. coming out to kind of plant something in a in a small town community <laughs> that would in some ways you know do all of the things that a church is supposed to offer yeah um, and very very nearly burned out in the process of that we just sat down and had a conversation I was like what about if you just started the other way around and said who do we have mm. in our community right mm. now what would they want and be able to contribute to, yeah. And yeah. let's just start there, rather yeah. than here's all the things I think the church should be doing, yeah. And then, if all of the people can't do it, then the, yeah, you know, then he's running around trying to run all of the things, yeah. And so you end up with not only with kind of burnt out churches, yeah. you end up with incredibly frustrated church leaders who yeah. are trying to just spending their whole lives trying to convince everybody to. There's this weird irony of I call it kind of like double pressure of like. So you've got ministers who go, what the people want is this thing here and and we must do it. And then they're going, well, I'm burning out doing all these things. I need some help from the people. Um, and so this is kind of like double resi- mutual resentment of feeling like the community's got all this expectation on me to produce this thing. And I'm having to produce this thing and I'm not getting any help. So I put some pressure on them to help produce. They need to help produce this thing. So we're doing all these things that not necessarily anyone wants they're not just saying like, oh, I want that, I'd prefer that, or that'd be nice to have. But it's in going like, oh, we are we are willing to pay the pay the price for this. And so you've got pastors trying to do all of the things for this implicit expectation, and burning themselves out doing it, then getting resentful at a congregation for making them do it. Mm. And so you're kind of doing things for people that haven't necessarily even asked for, or even if they have, to go, well, who's Gonna pay for that, mm. like because so often the you know, I mean, and we get this in our community of people going like, "Oh, it'd be really good if we had this," and going, "Cool, like who do you think we could get to do this thing?" Oh, I can't right now. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. And so, well, is this something that we can manage? Yeah, no, nah, probably not. I mean, it would be nice to have. Mm. Yeah. So you know, this is in a sense kind of a. It's allowing the community to set the tempo, right? Yeah. Of of what it is that's that's taking place, an invitation to actually participate in what it is that we are the about formation, the, the formation of the community. Mm. Mm. Um, and you know, I think one of the really hard things in this, if you're in a place that is really moving forward, making things happen, yeah, um, growing, yeah, is that it's all very exciting. Mm. Um, and vision casting can also feel incredibly exciting. This is what we're going to accomplish. And it's like, mm. wow, that's mm. amazing. You know, that mm. can be the response. Wouldn't that be incredible if we were able to do that? Um, but if that if that kind of exciting vision is paid for in blood, in blood <laughs> you know, in the lives of people who are getting churned up by it, then, yeah. then 
we have to be able yep. to stop mm. and and reflect and slow down yep. and go, actually, this cost is too high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and may, it may even be for this season. Like, yeah. you know, we want to do this level of production and that's our vibe and that's what we feel like our people want and that was, that's what we want. But we don't have that energy in our community right now, so we're going to tone things down mm. a bit. And do a skit. <laughs> well, we had like a few years ago, we had we had a particular kind of collection in our faith community of of musicians and songwriters mm. that kind of just came together in a particular kind of season of time mm. and wrote some really beautiful songs and recorded those songs and and all of that. Um, but it's actually okay for that to be to end a season of time in the life of our community. Yeah. Um, which is not to say no more songs will ever be written or anything like that. Or not to say it wouldn't be nice to still have more songs Yeah, written. totally. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it'd be great to have, to still be pumping out just as many songs as they were back then because I loved those songs. Yeah. You know? um, but also those people got tired or their life stage changed or mm. they, you know, all sorts of things went on for that collection of a particular unique kind of moment in time. That means it's it's okay that we haven't done another album, mm. you mm. know, or yeah. that we haven't put out, other than the fact that it'd be nice to have some new songs just because you get sick of singing the old ones. Um, but like, you know, you know that sense of, of you start doing something and then you're like, well, oh, but we're now we're the church that does that. Yeah. So now we can't stop. Yeah. So now these people are getting tired, but we either need to pressure them or we need to pressure someone else mm. or we need to go and find some people mm. who can do this so that mm. we don't lose our distinctive or lose our momentum. Or yeah. And actually you're being like, you know what, it's okay for that to come and go yeah. and maybe it'll come around again yeah. and that's okay too. Mm. Um, and just, mm. just letting the thing breathe more naturally because that kind of thing happens all the time in human community. Absolutely. Or it should. Yeah. Um, and so yeah. there's sort of the never-ending kind of um, movement upward and onward mm. and bigger and better. Mm. Uh, you just you can't really function that way and be healthy yeah. over a long period of time. Yeah. And look, I, I think a little bit of the kind of sociological level of the stuff of that, um, of this, the way conferences became formational events within churches. And mm. so like, and and again, like, you know, Hillsong and different ones pioneered this of kind of like every year it getting bigger and better and more spectacular and a more confetti and a bigger boom and, you know, bigger stadiums and this and that and growing and how much like so much of the work within the life of the church is to is, is kind of to impress visiting speakers from other places and contexts mm, as mm. much as anything else of going like, oh, how embarrassing would it be? Like if you're in that circuit, how kind of like keeping up with the rest of the circuit is actually really, really important. Um, but also even with that, even with kind of like church services and stuff about like looking at what 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 does health look like, that's so often like my question is always how much resource and energy are we putting into the gathering of us? <laughs> Like how much are we flogging ourselves to death so that we can have a good time? Mm. Like how much resource goes into a church service to make it something that we will really enjoy and get excited about, even if it costs us our souls in the process and we have to trample over a bunch of people of just going like, wouldn't we better just to be a little less excited and a lot more healthy? Like... And oh, where else could that resource go? Rory, the cat's come for oh, a visit. Hello, yeah. Rory. Our third, our, our third uh, collaborator on That's the podcast. Right. Rory with the uh, oversized bell. 
Yes. Yeah. Um, Don't worry. And yeah, so 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 thinking about like yeah, whether it's those conferences, whether it's the churches, like whether it's thinking about the you know the season of of songwriting or you know whatever it is, mm. like none of those things have a right to exist. Yes. Um, yeah. And and that once they start happening, they must keep happening. Mm. Or that it, you know, and and I think part of the language even I remember of of kind of mega church life was how look at these empty church buildings. Yeah. Around the world, how sad they are! How sad they didn't. They're not generational. We're going to be generational mm. churches mm. that live forever, essentially. Yeah, you know. Yeah, um, and actually, that's just not realistic. Uh, no matter how hard they blog no. everybody, that's not going to happen. No, you know, they're going to come and go. Mm. And um, I mean, if the last <laughs> six months has told us anything, <laughs> it's that some of the seemingly yeah, um, unassailable mm. uh, and and impossibly successful yeah. um, mega churches can also come crashing down mm. and fall apart a bit. Mm. And you know, as sad as that is, mm. it's it's also kind of like the the kind of a good high- reminder of the like Pascal mystery of the life cycle of things that things come and are reborn in different forms sometimes. Mm. Like I mean our our faith community is in the in the north of Melbourne and it's a high it's a highly transient suburb. So, you know, lots of people come here for university and then go and get jobs other places or move in and um, house share for a while. But if you want to buy a place, you have to go about three hours from here to be able to afford anything. If you have children, it's very hard to stay unless you're working a very high power corporate job. Like we, our expectation with our church community very much is just realizing of going like, we have people for a season of time, some longer than others. On the other side of this faith community, will they be richer for it? Will there be more whole people? Will they be equipped to be, you know, some form of, representative of the, of the divine out there, you know, beyond us? And will they be grateful for our community and the way it's formed them or resentful for what it did to them? And and when they move on, are we able to see that not as a, a failure loss. or a loss, mm. but actually as, as a gift, as a gift mm. uh, and as a healthy part of just yeah. what it is to be human in community? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, the we're all going to grow old together kind of starts out as a lovely idea and then turns mm. into almost like a uh, a controlling anxiety. Exactly. And, we and like, must all stay and grow old together. Again, and, it's coercion, right? Of going like, if that happens as an organic expression, like I know, mm. you know, people who have lived in particular places and have been to the same church their entire lives and have, you know, like married and buried parents and some buried children and all kinds of like, you know, amazing longevity and faithfulness. And, you know, again, like banging on about the fluidity of cultures under neoliberalism, (laughs) um, I'm massively about fidelity and about stable communities Mm. and about faithfulness and about Mm. these things when it's non-coercive. Like Mm. if those things are able to come out in healthy and flourishing fashions, then that's that's a wonderful gift too. But when it becomes about having to coerce people into it and having to trick people into thinking that this is all God is doing in the world Mm. is what's happening right here, Mm. um, it's just disingenuous like yeah yeah so yeah like so what if, so what if if churches who find themselves in these places say you know no matter what we're prioritizing health and sustainability mm. um for our people for the wider church with every decision we make um and even if that means that we have to suffer the humiliation <laughs> of 
consolidating or going backwards or paying attention to something else for a period of time, that's okay and that is good too. Yeah, because the realistic thing in the kind of world in which we live is that if because of health and sustainability of your people, you become a bit less shiny and amazing for a bit because mm. you don't have the mm. resources or capacity or mm. energy to focus on yep. shiny, yep. sparkly yep. side of things, that some people will go down the road to where yes, a more sparkly thing absolutely. is happening because they that's will. just because they will. Especially if you've got yeah. them on those terms. Yes, if that's why they came in the first place. And, and so it's actually going, you know what, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's a very hard thing to actually do, mm. um, especially in those spaces perhaps. It's, it's easier when you're on the other side of it. It's a hard thing to take on. But once you build that rhythm in, once you yes. build that set, yes, that, yeah, yeah. like I call it open-handed community, mm. like mm. once you start living with an open hand, mm. um, and, the, and, and dealing with the day-to-day fear of that, mm. of going, once you get used to like managing your anxiety around if we don't control and coerce mm. people. I mean like, you know, we've talked about this so much, but like having a community where people aren't afraid to leave. Mm. <laughs> like once you deal with the anxiety of going, you know, let's be honest, we make it hard for people to leave and people are scared of it. Mm. Um, once we stop doing that, once you live with an open hand, it's so much more anxiety-free yeah. than you'd imagine. Now, I understand part of what complicates this, especially for for all churches, but especially for large ones, is that there's often significant amounts of debt yeah. and expenditure mm. and staff wages yeah. and, and bills to pay. Mm. And I think in the end, sometimes what drives that fear is simply the the need to be able to mm. keep up with all of that. Because mm. if we lose 10% of people because we stopped to care for these people, yep. that's a 10% decline in our budget, which we simply cannot afford right yep. now. Because we're always pushing right at the edge of, of what is possible. I mean, can uh, we talk for just a moment then about the economics of church spaces of even the way debt is managed and leveraged and mm. that like debt in our society is kind of a given now but once upon a time that's not actually how you function and operate it. Like that is actually like a, a level of risk taking which is by choice not by necessity because debt is essentially saying I want something now that I don't want to have to save up for and I promise I'll pay you back later. Um, there are actually other means and other ways of going as a community, can we save towards something and then spend what we have? Like, so I, I understand what you're saying in that. Like, yeah, a lot of places and spaces and, you know, we, we have debt ourselves, but like um, are kind of like built and leveraged around needing to be being able to kind of like maintain huge amounts of debt. Um, but that, again, is a choice of taking on that debt. Yeah, and often the taking on that debt was so that we could grow. Yes. Because we needed a bigger space or whatever. And so, yep. you know, these things all feed into one another. Actually, and then, you know, I think within today's society, some level of debt is often necessary. Mm. Um, you know, there's a, we can't all live in the ideal world of, you know, mm. oh, we'll just save up to get that space or that yep. that. Yep. Especially churches like this who aren't associated with historic denominations that have buildings, buildings inherited. inherited yeah, absolutely. Right? Yep. Uh, so there is that dynamic present here. But but yeah, recognizing that when you take on that level of debt so that you can grow more, 
you're actually increasing the likelihood that you will you will need um, to coerce people. You'll need to coerce people, mm. and so mm. so those decisions need to be taken very carefully. And what if you said, you know what, we're not going to take that on, yep. so that we can grow more because of what that will make us do to have people. to do to people mm. in order to keep this machine mm. rolling. Yeah, mm. yeah. Um, now that we've talked for about six hours about the first, so that's our first point. <laughs> <laughs> Good. So begins our new 15-part series. <laughs> <laughs> so our next point is uh, talk less. <laughs> if only everybody was to talk less, things would be much better. Uh, okay, so <laughs> the second thing we wanted to talk about uh, is, um, and we've touched on this as well, is one of the responses to, to toxic or abusive church experiences for people is to fall into the character trap, which is to say, this all went wrong because such and such a leader mm. ended up, the power went to their head or they lost their way or they did some bad, they things. Did some bad things. And we need to get a new leader with better character yep. or whatever language is given to that, whether that's holiness language or mm. character language mm. or, yes, that was bad how that happened, wasn't it? But... Um, if we put someone stronger or or better, yeah, or, with more moral fiber, yeah, yep. and yep. then that will mean this doesn't happen again. Mm. And and what that assumes is that good character will overcome bad systems, bad systems mm. right? Mm. Um, and actually, as much as many toxic leaders have shaped abusive community or coercive communities. Mm. It's also true that those communities over a long period of time have shaped those leaders or those the, the systems of that community, yep. the structures of that community have yep. actually not just enabled but even encouraged that leader to turn into yep. or become the toxic kind of leader that they are, right? Yeah. And so if all you do is replace the leader with a better person but and do put them in the same system, put them in the same system yep. you're probably going to end up with similar outcomes again. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. Yeah. So I guess some of the questions these churches might want to ask is, like, what systems um, and what structures are producing a culture of harm? What structures are producing? Like, if our problem is with that, you know, we end we end up with a leader who. Gosh, who knew? Turned in, turned out to be a bit of a narcissist um, and a bit loose with finances, or a bit loose with this, this particular kind of mor morality, or um, turned out, you know, to be a bit shouty, and you know, and and shouted, ended up shouting at everybody, um, rather than saying, "Let's just not employ a shouty person." Let's say, what system made it okay for a person to shout at others? and berate them and belittle them? What systems do we have in place or what cultures or even what theology? Um, we've talked a little bit about honour culture. Um, but, you know, like that, that comes from a particular theology, a particular way of thinking about God and way of thinking about faith that produced or empowered and emboldened people to behave in particular ways to know, know that there wouldn't be consequences for them. You know, I, I, I still... You know, hearing, you know, stories of someone on stage <laughs> shouting at a child for interrupting their 
um, move of God by eating a piece of candy too loudly um, and going, in what world can a grown man shout at a kid? <laughs> in a space like this, we were talking about the love of Jesus <laughs> um, and no one feel empowered to go, that's not okay, mm. either in the moment or afterwards. Mm. Um, that is, that's a systemic decision to create a set of priorities and a set of, and a way of understanding leadership and the vocation of the church and all of these things that allows someone to not hit a wall when they when exhibiting particular kinds of behaviour. Mm-hmm. Um, and you could go right back to governance. Where where are where are the elders? Where are the board? Where are the people whose job it is to be representatives of the community, holding people to account about the nature of this community? Like where are the internal feedback mechanisms? Where are people empowered to speak truth to power and speak from below? Like all of those mechanisms have effectively been squashed at the systemic level to allow this stuff to happen over long periods of time. Um, you know, the, 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 the stories we've heard, <laughs> number of stories we've heard back, which have effectively been versions of I had this incredibly terrible thing happen in my life where, you know, I watched a violent thing happen to someone or um, I lost a spouse or my body was breaking down or this thing was happening or that thing was happening and I rang up my children's church leader to say, I don't think I can make it tomorrow and they said, you're coming in anyway. Mm. Where any sane person would say, oh my gosh, how can we care for you? You, like we should be able to support you in and through this. What structure made it possible for a person 16 levels of, you know, to use hierarchy language, power down the chain, to feel emboldened to tell a grown adult to ignore their own needs or their family's needs or some trauma that they were just witnessing um, to prioritise a particular program over that? That's all systemic. That's because of, it's not just because of bad leaders making bad decisions. It's because of structures that say, um, this is okay and we all agree with it, right? Yeah, and so the systems and structures, if you're not used to thinking about um, all of this in those terms, then I guess we're talking about a complex intersection of things. Like it's, mm-hmm. it's beliefs, yep. it's values, it's mm-hmm. mechanisms. Like you're talking about, like the actual structures of how how could someone feedback? Yeah. How could someone speak up about yep. mistreatment? Yeah. Um, how could someone say that's not what a pastor is? Mm. A pastor's this. But if you have a system which says a pastor is something else, then that reinforces bad behaviour. Mm. So yep. there are, there are all these things, and culture is a big part of that. And so mm. you know, in a lot of Ways in which some of the harm is produced is in all of the unwritten rules yep. of a community yep. that form a part of the system and structure yep. um, that aren't necessarily written down everywhere. Yep. But it's what's said in those meetings, it's what's said in those phone calls to say, no, you still have to come. Mm. And and <clears throat> the fact that a grown adult would say, okay, then I'll be there, even though yep. it's so bad for them in yep. that moment, tells you that there's an incredible level of mm. of systemic coercion going on mm. because that... If it was just a one-off conversation and the rest of the culture and structure and system said, 
that's not the norm, that's not okay, yeah. then they would feel empowered to say, actually, yeah. I'm an adult. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm letting you know, you know, I've yeah. been up till four in the morning with a, you know, very sick child that it's not okay for me to be there mm. <laughs> this morning. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. And, you know, again, that it's a lot of work to unpick that, those, yeah. those systems and structures. Yep. Because it's it's like we've talked about before, you know, what happens if that person is the, I don't know, the the key member of a band that's leading worship that day mm. um, or it's the the volunteer that means that thing's going to happen and if, and if that volunteer doesn't turn up, that thing's not going to happen yep. and what would it mean for that not to happen? Yeah. It, it, if you're that terrified of that not being able to happen, mm. that tells you that of, about what you value mm. and about what matters mm. and what matters is that program running regardless of yeah. whether or not that's going to effectively destroy someone's soul. Yeah. Yeah. Um, right? Or of you staying <clears throat> when you really want to leave. or mm. Yeah, so I guess like, what, I guess one of the things I think is really worth thinking about is, you know, we talked about um, a scale from, you know, invitation. Um, I can't even remember, remember how it went Invitation now. to encouragement. <laughs> yeah. Encouragement to pressure. Yeah, pressure to coercion. pressure to coercion. Yeah. And it's sometimes hard to exactly put your finger on whether something is invitation or encouragement or pressure or coercion. Mm. But if you have language within your community that says, we are a community which refuses to coerce um, and we have learned what coercion looks like and that's a really hard thing to do and sometimes you need outside help Mm. for that because you become so used to things. Like, I mean, again, mm. family mm. systems, same thing. Like within a family unit, particular cultures and ways of behaving, which to the outside world look absolutely absurd and terrible and destructive, yet if that's all you've ever known, it's actually really hard to see that sometimes. Mm. But um, if, you, if you learn what coercion looks like and then at all times err towards invitation... <laughs> Learn what those two things look like and err towards invitation, even if it means that you, you might undersell some results that you might get, but for the sake of health while you're learning this, you say, you know, I mean, this comes down to like creating feedback loops again of going, when can someone say that felt like pressure, mm. that felt like coercion, that felt like, you know, that felt like too much. Like, so say there's an offering talk um, for churches that still have offering talks. <laughs> um you know, when there's an encouragement to give, how where's the feedback loop for saying, you know what, I didn't really feel invited to participate. I felt coerced and pressured and it didn't feel good. How could we reframe that? Um, same with worship, same with preaching, same with, you know, doing tasks or volunteering or caring for people or all of those things. What does invitation look like? And how do we err away from coercion? And how do we name coercion when we see and feel it? Because a lot of these things will be, will be habit. I mean, as we've seen with you know, with honour, even when people have been taken out of positions and people just can't help but can't help but honour them because they're still there. Of going like, wow, that stuff is so deeply rooted in you know in in, in a culture. It might take a lot of unlearning mm. to do to move mm. away from coercion and you and and realizing our radar might be off for what coercion looks like because we've lived in a coercive environment for so long. Yeah, maybe it's maybe it's asking the people that you, you know, if you're someone who is involved in 
a leadership of some kind. Yeah. Asking the people that you lead. Now, building the, the level of trust where they might give you an honest answer is also, This is right? so, because, key. so key. Yeah, yeah, because if you say, oh, tell me, do you ever feel coerced by me? And they say, yes. And yeah. you're like, what are the consequences? You've got a real attitude in your heart, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> then, and there's a you know a black mark that goes next to their name in your mind now because they're a troublemaker or they're mm. not loyal to the vision mm. or whatever. So you actually have to also commit mm. to a to a pathway of openness and non defensiveness and yep. and being able to receive that kind of feedback. And for a while, maybe <clears throat> it means anonymity. Like how do you get anonymous feedback? Mm. Because you go, actually, we have participated in a coercive structure. I have heard from the outside, even though I don't haven't witnessed it, that people are afraid to tell the truth. Um, or I've experienced that up. Like I've been afraid to tell the truth to the people, but surely the people below me don't feel that way. Um, maybe it takes some space for anonymous feedback for a while, which is, makes you obviously feel really, really vulnerable. Mm. But if it's actually about pursuing the truth, maybe until people can trust that it's safe to say mm. and safe to push back and safe to feedback. And, you know, like as a as a person who, yeah, like I'm, I'm involved in helping curate a faith community and it, it's, vulner- it's a vulnerable space. Every time someone meets with me and says, you know, have you thought about the way we do this and that it's not actually that helpful or could we try this or – like it's really hard not to flick yeah, into defensive just mode. Just trying my best here, <laughs> God damn it! Exactly that. Like there is that part. Yeah, of, yeah. There is that part of you. It's especially when it's something you really care about and put mm. your heart into. It is a really vulnerable space. Mm. Um, so it can take a long time. But like a good sign is that people are able to do that. If people are coming to you and saying, "Could we change this? Could we think about this? Could we ask a question about that?" I don't know. I don't really like how that felt. That's a really good thing, mm. even if it's hard. Mm. And that doesn't mean that people always do it well either because, you know, mm. there are dysfunctional people at every levels of church community and mm. sometimes people will have their own coercion from below totally. stuff going oh, yeah, on. Totally. And, it doesn't and mean all it... sorts of agendas about what we should be doing and oh, what absolutely. you should be doing and the yeah. kind of leader you should be and, yeah. and stuff. So it's not, it's not becoming, it's not going turning from being a controlling person into someone who has absolutely no agency over their own yeah. lives or, yeah. or selves or anything like that either, yeah. you know, you but, it, but it's, it's all of us, leaders and communities, mm-hmm. learning to actually yep. walk this out yep. together yep. And, and learn together and, and move forward in ways that actually prioritise all of our health. Because one of the things that strikes me about everything that we've talked about over the last few months and the examples that we've seen and the stories mm. that have unfolded is just how bad for everybody all of this is, mm-hmm. including the people at the top. Although they might be getting their... Yeah. I don't know, their gift baskets and their yeah. <clears throat> accolades and their titles. Yeah. They're actually sort of dying on the inside yeah. often, you know. Yeah. It's just it's just terrible for everybody. And often they're losing the people they love in the yeah. process too. Yeah. Like people who really believed in them and cared about them have become more and more distant over the years to the point where they're terrified of them. And mm. yeah, like they actually lost the thing. And even if they're kind of still replicating that on the outside of saying, you know, you're still wonderful. I still think you're great. Um, but actually on the inside, they're going, you're actually terrible. You're a monster, but I don't know how to get out and I don't know how to tell you that. Yeah. Yeah. And I've seen, you know, I've seen instances certainly of, of senior leaders who have, when they go to mingle with their people, mm. um, and especially like, you know. With their... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Sorry, yeah. did you just say something funny? Because I was laughing just in case you did. Yeah. Um, just the awkward nature of yeah. relationship because so much of the relationship has been built on coercion and mm. and pressure mm. 
um, that it becomes almost impossible to have normal, meaningful mm. friendship or relationship. So mm. you end up with these weird rules like you can't be friends with people you lead or something like that, right? Yep. Which is you know a terrible <laughs> kind of rule for talking about systems and structures. Yeah. Um, because what it's saying is that you have to hold some kind of power over that yeah. person and you can't do that if you're yep. friends with them. And that vulnerability is to be, is to be feared. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I was in a context where someone did because there were some, there were some difficulties and, or there were some questions around culture and around harm. Mm. And so um, someone I knew suggested a, an anonymous survey of, of the staff in that environment right. saying, let's, let's actually find out yep. how these people are. And yep. it was just, it was so quickly shut down and <laughs> as, you know, like, no, 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 no. Yeah. And the biblical thing is that you always take that directly to the person and you should yeah. take it to your upline. Yeah. Oh, um, my God. Uplining. Yeah. And so... And so, and really, what's happening? Can I just put a bookmark in there to say that thing's been talked about a lot about, um, you know, even in this context here about like going to the person, um, and if not, take other people. Like that, that is about a very specific type of community in a very specific context and very specific power dynamics um, that should not just be universally applied in every church situation mm. without acknowledging the power exam mm-hmm. um, dynamics that do exist. And yeah, <laughs> we'll talk about that another time, but that is sometimes terrible advice. Oh yeah, Even yeah, if yeah, Jesus yeah, yeah. said it, yeah, yeah. it doesn't necessarily mean he's talking about your exact situation yeah. in the same way. Yeah. Well, and, and, and so um, the, the biblical text there is actually just being used as a cover for yeah. the fear of what we would hear if we actually heard what people really thought. Yeah, exactly. And right. we can't allow what people really think to come to the surface because mm-hmm. that will ruin everything. Yeah. That will destabilize everything. Yeah. If people feel like they're actually given a voice to say what they really think mm-hmm. and feel, mm-hmm. then there'll be, yeah. you know, it's going to be chaos. Yeah. And that's very telling, right? Mm. It's the emperor's new clothes fear. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> if someone says that we're naked, then suddenly everyone will start agreeing. Yes. <laughs> yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, so in terms of thinking about invitation through to coercion, uh, how can we recognize coercion? And you, if you're someone in leadership, you don't just get to decide what that is. Exactly. So that, you don't yeah. sit there and go, well, I've decided coercion is X, yeah. Y, and Z. That you don't feel coerced. And none of this. you feel coerced, which is tremendous. <laughs> you feel encouraged by <laughs> yeah. my offering talks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you actually have to do the work of finding out mm. um, people's experience. Yeah. Um, whether yeah. that's from within the community or getting outside help to to be able to see where coercion is taking place and, yep. and, then, and then move away from it. And look, um, this comes up a lot of going, well, I've never heard that. And it's like, of yeah. course you've never heard that. You're not a safe place. <laughs> You're not a safe place. People don't tell you yeah, that. They tell us. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and That's what our like, inboxes are full of. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And in some ways we're safe because we don't have power in yeah. that particular context. Yeah. Like, yeah, whether the people that we, you know, and uh, our communities feel safe or not, that's another question. Like, mm. yeah, because we are out of, the, out of that circle. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, and, and and this this relates, I guess, to you know all of this kind of coercive stuff. It happens in in multiple ways and at, and at multiple layers of of mm. these mm. communities. Um, you know, it can be it can be the shape of church services and gatherings, yeah, where that kind of coercion is used. But then yep. it can also take place behind closed doors and much more personal. Mm. Ways, mm. um, so you kind of get the broad coercion, which whether that's the altar call or the mm. offering talk, yep. or or it's the sermon 
that keeps making examples of those people who did those things and yeah. how terrible they are, and and that's kind of a, a subtler form of coercion yeah. done publicly that yeah. that sort of coerces by telling you all of the wrong answers, mm. which leaves you with only one right answer, or even kind of like just the kind of like the gaslighting of emotions within services of saying, mm. "Now you feel like this, but actually it's that," you know, like <laughs> don't listen to the truth, listen to the facts. Yeah. No, no, the other, <laughs> no way around. other way around. Don't listen to the facts, listen to the truth. Yeah, I've been out of it for yeah. a while, um, or something like that. Or yeah, mm. you might be feeling this, but you've yeah. got to choose to believe that. Yeah. Um, and so all of these ways and all the songs that we sing that tell us oh, yeah. that our experience is not to be trusted or that yeah. our feelings shouldn't be listened to. Mm. Or, um, so all of that is kind of a, um, a consistent kind of the coercion, right, mm. um, that's going on kind of – or maybe it's pressure, you know, maybe it's, it's not always direct coercion but mm. it, is a, it is a kind of an environment that um, is compelling you to think, act and behave in certain ways that yeah. are – appropriate and approved of within that community. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the stuff that goes on, um, and especially, I guess, the, 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 the sort of the less visible stuff that goes on more personally. Yeah. You know, maybe 60% of the church never gets to see. Mm, mm, oh, absolutely. Um, because yeah. they're just attending those services and yeah. wasn't that fun. Yeah. Or yeah. Um, all the whole, oh, well, that felt a bit intense, but, mm. you know, oh, well. Mm. Uh, it was also good. And but good things the, are happening. Yeah, good yeah. things are happening. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the, the volunteers the interns, the staff, yeah. you know, all of that yeah. who are experiencing that kind of, that level of coercion. And we've, mm. we've heard even recently through, you know, one of the questions I asked on Instagram this week was was around people's experience of of growth being chosen over health, health and sustainability mm. and, and, and well-being. Mm. And just the stories that come back of the kinds of things people are, are saying, you know, yeah, my, my, um, my partner was two weeks overdue with our baby <laughs> or... So and so just mm. died, and or yeah. I was having an absolute, you know, mental breakdown. Yeah, um, and the responses coming back to them in those, in those attempts to advocate for some space for themselves, mm. um, and in very many of those cases, advocating, um, you know, almost wait, al- already, like a long time after they should have been given that yeah, space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and and being shut down and being gaslit and being yeah. told to be committed and to stick it out and mm. to. Um, and just the, you've, you've kind of got to, I mean, the first step again, the first step towards health there is to stop doing that to people. Uh, then the, the, perhaps the, the even, the, 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 the more hopeful longer term step mm. is, is not just to stop manipulating, gaslighting and pressuring those people, but even to be proactively Caring thinking about them. how to care for them. <laughs> imagine if we thought about them yeah. as the church. Yes. <laughs> imagine if they, and were, it was like, imagine if they got hey, to be the church. <laughs> this person is yeah. dealing with this right now mm. and they're trying to tough it out because they're trying to be loyal, et cetera, but I know that that's not very good for them right mm. now and so I'm going to approach them and say, mm. you need to stop yeah. for a while. Yeah. You know, yeah. like Or ask, um, do you? Or yeah, or ask, yeah. 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 Um, this kind of leads into our next one like because, <laughs> yeah, a, a lot of it, has to do with kind of like I guess like softness and empathy of like so many of the stories that we get back and that we've heard around the traps over the years effectively just come down to who is the best at shutting down emotion Mm. because that is what allows you to function really well as a high-caliber person, (laughs) whether it's not hearing your own body screams or not hearing the screams of other people's bodies. (laughs) Um the way forward 
is to just suppress negativity at every turn um, and to never hear any bad stories or never believe any mm. bad stories or justify any bad stories that you do see or hear um, and essentially like sear your emotions um, for the sake of the cause um, and success and growth and bigness and moving forward um, so that you don't have to look at the actual well, – so in some ways you're shielded from the realities because I guess what surprised me with, you know, some of the feedback we've had is is that of people just going, like, just just feeling kind of incredulous about the stuff actually happening, even though they've witnessed it for years and years and years. And for some people who've come at the other side going, I look back now and go, oh, my goodness, the things I saw and the things, <laughs> oh, the horror, the horror. But at the time it seemed so normal. And often what was happening at the time is just the suppressing of empathy. Mm. That not there's a kind of like valorization of um of kind of stoicism, of this hardness of saying, mm. you know, you know, I haven't gotten bitter. I have been abused left, right, and center, and I've never let it get me down. Um I haven't got bitter, I haven't given up. And part of me just goes, if more people like, like, I mean, again, the pejorative framing of bitterness, that to push back against something is bitterness, which is a bad trait, mm. rather than saying, I, I witnessed abuse of myself, of someone else, and rather than um, suppressing the horror of that or my disgust of that, I actually confronted it and said, that's not okay. Or if, it didn't, if I'd done that and it hadn't changed, I'm going, I'm not participating in this anymore. Because I think even like within the the ministry language that we grew up in, there was a real sense of like pastors burn out really quickly. They've only got a, what was that stat? Like they only last three years or something like that. Mm. Um, And the solution to that was essentially just like personal stoic toughness to no matter what you see and feel and hear to staying the course and still being faithful rather than going the system we work under is so dysfunctional that not many people can actually bear it. So let's change how we operate churches. And we might talk about this in an episode upcoming. Um, But that's kind of being translated right down the lines of all throughout these systems of people going, um, I've stuck it out through all kinds of horrible experiences that I cannot name because if I did, I wouldn't be able to be here anymore. Um, And that's kind of a mark of faithfulness. And on one level, it's amazing people's commitment to this thing that Mm. they really believe in. And it is beautiful and it is really good. But naming harm and feeling deeply the ways in which people have been trampled and damaged and not justifying it and confronting unjust systems, like that's good too. Yeah, there's a there's a there's a real problem with with the numbness toward toward people's experience of of harm and even trauma within these spaces. Like it's an inconvenience. Yeah, and so you can have a bunch of stories that get shared or they get told. Whether that's you know sometimes through the stuff that I've done on. Mm. On Instagram, where we, we we often share people's experiences there, mm-hmm. um, or you think about the responses to someone like David Farrier's, mm-hmm. you know, work of of unfolding these these stories, and people's response to that can be, "Why don't you talk about the good things?" Um, 
why yeah. are you focusing on the negative? <laughs> yeah. Shouldn't we be Yeah. Shouldn't we be be more positive than this? I've experienced horrible things too and I'm still here. Yeah, there's 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 that too, yeah. Um but I'm just struck by even aside from from that part of it is like that you can hear a bunch of stories of people's incredibly mm. difficult experiences and not be devastated and not by them. Be, not be moved by them at all, yeah. but instead to hear those and be like, why are you talking about this? We could talk, we be talking about <clears throat> nice things. There's positives to focus on. Mm. Let's, you know, we're wallowing in, you know, or like we're sort of, we're focusing too much on all of this. Yeah. Um, we need to be talking about yeah. how to move forward in victory or whatever it is. Um <laughs> And look, sometimes I think it's a form of Stockholm Syndrome. I think for people particularly who are insiders who have seen and witnessed really hard things have had to shut something off inside themselves. Yeah, yeah, perhaps so. Yeah, they probably do. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and, and then we've talked before about how leaders have to do that to, to function. Absolutely, um, yeah. And so, yeah, like I've seen within those kinds of spaces people with pastoral hearts be almost kind of mocked yeah. within those communities oh, yeah. for being kind of weak, effeminate. Soft, yeah. weak yeah. Um, naive. Yeah. Um, you don't really understand what it takes to make a community like this or yeah. a church like this or an organisation like this happen. Yeah. Um, you... Yeah, if we listen to all of those people, we'd never get anywhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. If we listen to all the people saying you can't do this to people, we'd never have all of this. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> we'd never have accomplished all of this. Yeah. And which is exactly like where we started this conversation, yes. which is we have to be willing to not accomplish some of some things yeah. in order to actually care for people's health mm. and well-being. Mm. Um, but yeah, so 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 you have that person who who voices the empathetic response, mm. and they're they're sidelined and ridiculed, yeah, uh, mocked. Mm. Um, and then if you go to like pastors' conferences or church growth conferences, oh, yeah. and, you know, all of those, then the way you know. Guest speak, you know, the speakers will talk about. Yeah. At my church, I had these people who were all like, no, what about, you know, caring for people? And I just said, well, I, sometimes people just need to be punched in the face. <laughs> yeah. You know, whatever. Yep. You've got to um, break a few eggs to make an omelette. You know, whatever yep. the sort of the phrases. Yeah. And, you know, th- there's connections to kind of patriarchal kind of stuff here too. Yeah. The kind of hyper masculinity. Oh, yeah. And, oh, yeah. Um, yeah. and all of this. But it's, yeah, it's kind of devastating really to, to talk about it in mm. this way that, that, that to be pastoral in the real sense of the word, mm. to be empathetic, to mm. care deeply about people and mm. their well-being mm. is seen as a weakness to be weeded out yeah. from among us yeah. rather than the thing upon which this community should be built. Yeah, um, And it often yeah. is weeded out by attrition, right? Because the people yeah. that remain often are the people who can <clears throat> have witnessed the most horror and participated in the most horror and chosen not to hear those stories mm. or feel those stories mm. or make a stand against that kind of mm. abuse. Mm. And so what's left behind is a lot of people who can't really feel. And yeah. people who get promoted to particular positions are the people who are good at this one thing, which is casting a vision, speaking, you know, Representing being the culture, being inspirational, doing all that kind of thing. Organising amazing yep. events. Yep. But are terrible at that stuff. Caring for people. Caring for people. Mm. 
So you're wheeling other people to do that stuff to compensate for the fact that the people you're actually giving power and authority to are the people who are going to destroy people. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, even as a practice, <laughs> have a day of bitterness. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like we're going, what if I just tried to shut down those scripts just for a day of reflection by myself or with someone I feel safe with and talk and actually feel, actually mm. feel the things I've witnessed, I've participated in and the stories mm. I've heard mm. as an exercise and how, now how do I feel about this as an organisation and what might need to change? And, you know, there are theological threads to all of this as well. Um, so the kind of triumphalism yep. mentality, which yep. is that things are always getting better yep. or breaking through. Yeah. Um, again, don't listen to all of that negativity, yep. but push through for the positive mm-hmm. outcome. Keep having faith despite, you know, despite all the things, yep. despite all the obstacles and the things that might get in your way, like people's lives and experiences, yep. um, and just keep charging forward to, mm. for bigger, brighter, better yep. days, the best is yet to come, et cetera. Yep. Um, that, that feeds all of this as well. Mm. Yeah. I mean, let alone a coercive God yeah. who is willing yeah, yeah. to, you know, kill a few Canaanites and break a few eggs and, you know, yeah, myriad other things. Yeah, so there's some there's some big theological issues there about around how we see God, around how we read scripture and, and all of that as well. Look, if you want to know about how I see violence in the Bible, go back and uh, listen to episodes, oh, I'm going to say eight, nine, ten, somewhere around there. It was a long time ago uh, where I talked about violence in the Bible and et cetera. Anyway, um, yeah, there's, there's, there's <laughs> yeah, so many layers, right? Um, layer upon layer. Cool. Well, we've been talking for quite some time, mm. as is our <laughs> Custom. tendency, even more so now that we're in person because yes, I don't, I don't yeah. really like talking on Zoom very much. <laughs> so now that I'm in person, I feel like I could just sit here all day. Uh, but would I do that to you, dear listener? Certainly not. No, I'm far too empathetic yes. to subject you to that. Um, maybe there's there's just a couple of things we want to touch on to finish then. Um, as we're talking about all of that, I think about the design of our church gatherings and the way in which they're oriented toward um, what what I know you've called and we've talked about as peak experiences. Um, this idea of the kind of increasing levels of transcendence we've talked about before or the mm. always pursuing that encounter that's going mm. to change everything, mean everything. Mm. Um, and when so much of the the kind of what we'd call theologically, like the telos, right? The, the mm. thing we're moving toward, the thing yeah. we're trying to get to. The trajectory. The trajectory that we're aiming for is so that people then might have this amazing experience or encounter. Yeah. Um, it, it diminishes the, it diminishes room for mm. people's real humanity. Yeah. Um, the ordinariness of life, the, um, the challenging things that we experience have to kind of be swallowed up in yeah. this is all just a part of mm. how God is taking me towards another level yeah. um, or this is a test or this yeah. is a trial or this is a temptation yeah. or whatever it is to mm. that's going to be woven into the story of how I'm going to attain the next yeah. feeling of transcendence. Or even that or even that, that, that transcendent moment, you know, because there's lots of ways people describe this, right, like God really moved, that mm-hmm. God showed up, that mm. we had an encounter with God, that we had a breakthrough experience, that all that kind of thing. Um, but it's kind of talked about in a way which says, 
you know, as long as you have that, it kind of fixes all that other stuff. Mm. Like, because mm. if God moved and you received breakthrough in your relationship, then your relationship's better because of that encounter. But if you, your day-to-day lived experiences that actually, like, you might have given you a little boost in attitude for a few days because you feel a little hit of endorphins and feel good about things for a bit. If you're not fixing the, the systemic structural problems in your relationship or the patterns of relating or the vulnerability stuff you need to address or you're the way your own family of origin story is feeding into your own family's stuff or like you might feel like you've had a breakthrough in relationships but what you've actually had is um, what can be a really helpful sense of excitement or energy towards fixing something but on the ground nothing's actually changing, you know. Mm. If your kid has leukemia and isn't getting healed and you have an amazing profound worship experience and God really moved on Friday night or Sunday morning or whenever it was, come Tuesday, like it doesn't necessarily change anything. And the pursuit of peak experiences while being at times this amazing magical alchemy that is really encouraging and life-giving and feels like some kind of really close encounter with God, it doesn't necessarily help you with your encounters with God in the rest of life where you don't have a keyboard <laughs> to assist you about how you feel mm. about it or some of the hard conversations you have to have or some of the changes that you need to make. Um, yeah. Yeah, and, and so I suppose if we're thinking about health, and well-being. It's actually how do we help the people in our communities or how do we as communities together mm. um, yeah, create room for um, a variety of ways in which people might experience things and, and, mm. and those experiences might be transformative in, in yeah. some kind of way. But how do we create room for the realness of people's yeah. um, lives in all of their shade and colour and hue and mm. um, and not have everything be kind of a, a step on the path to your breakthrough. Yeah. Um, because the best is not always yet to come. No. Sometimes you get old and die. Yeah. Yep. Um, or And that's part of life. And that's just a part of life. Mm. And um, and so sometimes sometimes you peak in your career at thirty and then <laughs> that's that. For that, mm. but that doesn't mean that life is over. Like, mm. Mm. yeah, um, yeah. I was thinking my my nana passed away last week at the age of ninety five, and I was just thinking about the the last two or three decades of her life, which mm. was, you know, most of her time was kind of pottering around home, mm. um, and I was just, it just had me thinking, you know, what is a life like? What is mm. meaningful? And mm. without diving into the the meaning of her life as such, it just made me think about you know mm. the fact that actually so much of what we Say matters is yeah. is an is actually referring to the occasional yeah. incidences of of amazingness that come along sometimes in our lives, mm. but those are not the only things that matter. And for many people, those kind of publicly recognised experiences of amazingness never happen. Never happen, and their lives are still very significant and meaningful yes. for the people yes. who share them. Yeah. Mm. Um. 
Okay, I think there's there's a couple of other questions that we which probably, probably want to flag at this point. Mm, yeah, that it's definitely not talk about them because that'll be bad for everyone. <laughs> so we just want to flag that there's a couple of other things that we did want to talk about, but we're going to circle back around on these they're too big um, because they're too big to talk about here. And one is really the question, and we've touched on it a little bit along the way here. But what even is a pastor? Uh, yeah, let's rethink that idea. Or yep. Or think about it. Let's reflect on it. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, kind of connected to that, what even is a church? Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, and, and so that's kind of a, a question that I think needs to be teased out yep. um, more. Yep. Because as we've kind of hinted, the, 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 the model we've seen is, is not necessarily good for anybody. Mm. Um, it's also like, I guess for you and I, like we have, you know, have had a lot of conversations about this over the years mm. and a lot of reflections on this. And it's probably the point at which we'll lose the rest of our podcast listeners because we actually have, and again, we're not providing like the one universal answer for things, but we have some reflections on this that will touch more than just mega churches because I think. <laughs> yeah, well, I think we've, we have been, what we've been trying to talk about over the years and trying to work out what it looks like is how mm. to actually explore different ways of thinking about that entirely. You're right. Yeah. Um, and so that's going to cut against the grain of, of the way in which many churches yeah. think about this. So yeah, but, which, but which other people might find life because I think yeah. there's a lot of people who have very much given up on churches because of these structures mm. um, that might actually find a way of remaining mm. um, if there's something else on offer. And then the other question or conversation is really around actually the idea of salvation itself because yeah. so much of what is used as the justification is the kind of the end for which all means are justified in yep. these spaces is that ultimately people are getting saved yep. and that is what really matters because, I mean, at the end of the day, I mean... Is there anything else? Is there anything else? Yeah. You know, touching souls from, you know, suffering forever in hell. Yeah. Uh, and if we're... And if, if that's if salvation is about rescuing people from that, then you can... Justify all justify kinds of things. Justify all kinds of things. Mm. And so ultimately, um, we see that happen a lot in these places. Look at what is happening. Look at the numbers of people who are... Responding, yep. making decisions for Christ. Look at saved. all the other shit churches where people aren't happen. getting saved. Yep. Um, and so that's a conversation we need to tease out as well. For we sure. might, and then we'll lose the other half of our. <laughs> <laughs> and it'll just be um, you and me again, just, just how we like it. Um, yeah. No, no, because we've got some, you know, I think we'll have some, some interesting things to say about that too, mm. uh, which is fun. Um, perhaps as a final reflection, I suppose it's just that that means to an end question is one that I think about a lot. Mm. And all of this, and ultimately that, you know, I even think about like what Christians were first called, which yeah. was followers of the way. Yeah. Which is this idea that there's kind of a, there's a way of being, mm. of living, that it, we are invited into in following Jesus. And that's not an end, uh, a means to an end. No approach to life. No. It is about actually saying, how do we go about this? And so much of like the New Testament story, mm. whether it's the Gospels, which is Jesus essentially... <laughs> Jesus failing his way to Messiahship. Yeah, <laughs> like challenging the ways in which religious communities were yeah. were treating people. Yeah. Um, challenging the ways in which... A nation understood itself. Uh, yeah, a nation understood itself. Um, and, and not succeeding at all in nope. so many ways. Um, because he was so faithfully committed to that path of a different 
mm. mode, a different way mm. of being, of, of seeing, mm. of, of relating to people. Um, and so um, <laughs> there's, a, there's a big invitation there mm. to, to we, so perhaps this is a, you know, a, a, a leaving thought on the whole kind of health thing is if we're ever tempted to say, yes, but mm. look at all of this yeah. good yeah. and that harm was kind of an unfortunate but necessary yeah. collateral damage. Maybe just sit with the Jesus that uh, was once faced with someone saying, if you bow down to me, all of this will be yours <laughs> and yeah. said, no thanks. That's right. Uh, and you know a, a number of a number of people, um, uh, Eugene Peterson, Henry Nowen, Henry Nowen, and, and others have talked about the fact that in the temptations of the Christ. So at the start of his kind of ministry, if you're not familiar with the story, he goes out into the wilderness and has this kind of wrestle with whether it's a literal or, or a metaphorical um, devil, uh, but this wrestle with with these temptations mm. that are that are not really uh, so much about the ends as they are about the means. They mm. are they are temptations about how are you going to go about doing yep. what you do here. Mm. Right at the very beginning of his of yep. his life of of ministry. Um, yeah. These deep questions. Yeah. I'll give you three easy roads you can take yeah. to achieve the success that you yeah. want to achieve. Yeah. Um all you've got to do is sacrifice a little bit <laughs> yeah. of the way. Yes. For exactly. Them, and you'll yeah. get exactly what you want. Yeah. And and that kind of commitment that Jesus makes there to yep. not sacrifice the way yep. in order to accomplish some kind of end goal, yep. but in fact to stay faithful to the way um, that becomes indicative of then how he actually yep. lives out. Yeah, and fails. And fails mm. because he's so committed to that way yep. that um, he's willing to forego growth yeah, <laughs> numerically. Yep, loses everyone that ever yeah. followed him, yeah. except for a few. Yeah, uh, in the eyes of the time, insignificant, weak women. Yeah, <laughs> yep. And in the process, and then we see that as the most transformative thing to have ever happened in the exactly. world. Exactly. Well, that's yep, or at least yep. from a Christian perspective, and it's the subversive faithfulness of those women. Yeah, that are that bear witness to. Yeah. The miracle that has happened. Mm-hmm. Mm. All right, well, that's a good place to finish. Yeah. Thank you, Shane. Thank you. It's going to need a toasty. So there you go, Shane and I talking about uh, what it might look like to move towards some healthier ways of being as churches. Um, thanks as always to Reese Michelle for taking this audio and helping to make it sound good in your ears. Until next time. <laughs>